Hello, friends. Welcome to Clear on Life. In this episode, I interview my good friend Michael Taft. Michael is a meditation teacher, author, and a neuroscience junkie living in the Bay Area. He's the author of The Mindful Geek and the host of Deconstructing Yourself podcast. In the last few years, his name, work, and career in the field of meditation have skyrocketed to new heights. Now, typically, one would interview Michael around the topics of meditation and spirituality. This, however, is an unusual episode in the sense that we don't talk so much about Michael's teachings as much as we look at his life as a spiritual teacher and an entrepreneur. Michael has created an amazing platform for his offerings, and it's often hard to see how much work and hustling goes into creating such a structure. I explore what it took him to create his platform and make his gifts accessible to the world. We also look at some of his fascinating life adventures and risks he took along the way. And for those of you looking for a dose of spirituality and meditation, rest assured, this entire episode is colored with that flavor. And so, you get this rare mix of spirituality and hustling in this one episode. Enjoy. Clear on Life Podcast. Clear on Life. Clear on Life. Clear on Life. The Clear on Life Podcast. The journey into finding purpose, meaning, and clarity in life. Welcome to the Clear on Life podcast. One, two, three, go. This is the Clear on Life podcast. Welcome, Michael Taft. Thanks for inviting me, Jazz. Seems like you are very, very busy of a person. I am very busy at this point, mainly making podcasts. I make a podcast called Deconstructing Yourself, which is essentially a podcast where I talk to spiritual teachers about weird, bizarre, fascinating, deep, complicated spiritual stuff, meditation stuff, particularly. So it's called Deconstructing Yourself? Deconstructing Yourself. So I thought of that uh, term in like 2011, when both you and I were doing a lot of work with Shinzen and Shinzen's model of... Uh, mindfulness meditation or Vipassana is this very complex model of taking the elements of sensory experience that make up a human, uh, a human being's sense of self. So let's say you're thinking and feeling, and then you divide up the thinking into mental images and mental talk, and you divide up the feeling into emotions and regular body sensations, and then you track those separately. And you use those to kind of disassemble the sense of self, which is a meditative technique, right? And so while we were doing that one day, I was like thinking of that Woody Allen movie called Deconstructing Harry. And I was thinking of a couple other (laughs) deconstructing words. And I was like, oh God, this is this meditation I'm doing is called Deconstructing Yourself. It just came to me, right? And so I... uh, I thought that was a cool name, and so I made a blog called that, which has been around since 2011. Right. I've seen your blog, and I love it. Thanks. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, Jessica Graham on there. There's a lot of me on there just writing about meditation as we were you know, continuing to discover uh, more about doing it, more about teaching it, and then gradually she's gone off and done her stuff, and I, uh, and in fact, published a book based on the blog and so on, and, and I started the podcast. So you've been creating a lot of content. You teach meditation to a lot of folks here in the Bay Area, and I take all over the world uh, remotely. So what drives you to do this? Um, It's kind of all I've ever been doing, creating 
content has been going since day one. And, um, you know, my brother was really into painting and drawing and taught me to paint and draw when I was a little, little, little kid. And then I remember this moment in about fifth grade where very cheap cassette recorders came out. So this is in the early 70s. And they had these very, very, very cheap single cassette recorders. And I got one for Christmas and I just started recording everything. It had a microphone that attached to it and I started making little radio programs. And then it turned out my friend, my best friend, also had one. And so together we started making radio programs with two cassette decks. And with two cassette decks, you can bounce tracks. And when you can bounce tracks, you can edit, right? So we actually made huge uh, hour-long radio programs all by bouncing. And, you know, we're little kids doing this. And we we were just completely captivated, totally interested in it. And so that's just been, this content creation has been a a lifelong interest. I've always written stories and created audio and so on. So this seems like a continuation. Would you say that's one of the um, underlying callings for you? How, How does content creation fit in? Is it its own thing? Well, it it is in a way. It's fun to write and draw and make audio or make video or whatever. It's just inherently fun. But almost always since the beginning, the audio, video, writing stuff that I've done has been related to either spiritual topics or science fiction topics and often kind of an overlapping of those two. You'll notice even the way that I teach meditation is kind of modern and uh, science focused and a little sci-fi. So it's, it's a, they, they kind of go together for me. And, you know, my biggest job in the, in the straight world, in the corporate world was at sounds true, which it's hilarious to think of that as straight or corporate because it's such a hippie, (laughs) you know, company in Boulder, but I love it though. Yeah. It's, it's fabulous. And you know, there, what was I doing? I was creating spiritual, teaching audios, you know, meditation, teaching, audio. So it's always been, the two have always come together for me. Got it. So it's it's amazing that, I mean, it's really cool just to hear your story of creating radio shows way back when with your friend, with cassette tapes. I mean, we didn't have podcasts then, but you were podcasting back then in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you have like a reach? Did you have people listening to it? Uh, my brother. Okay. <laughs> who hated it a lot. You know, he's my older brother. So anyway. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just fabulous fun to make it. That was the main thing. You know, we spent days and days and days. And even when I eventually, I was teaching uh, English in Japan for a couple of years. And back then you could get way better uh, digital gear, audio gear in Japan than you could in the States. So I got like a Tascam four-track cassette recording rig and uh, a bunch of beautiful microphones, really strange piezoelectric microphones that are very, very, very wide, you know, no um, angle on them at all. They're just almost like 360 degrees. They collect every sound, every like sound. everywhere. Okay. Yeah. Ambient. Ambient. And so I would go around Japan like recording the sound of locations and so on. Wow. And then uh, come back and make programs, audio programs with that as the background and so on. Really fun. Very, very fun. Got it. Got it. And that's just me hanging out, doing that in my free time because I thought it was a blast. I mean, that's the best part is like if if we could somehow combine what you love doing in the free time with what you do for 
for a living, would you say that's, that's a good, good thing to do? Or do you think it's a good thing to keep them separate? It depends. I mean, sometimes when you introduce the hustle aspect to the thing you love, it really starts to get painful. I know a lot of people who are like, let's say visual artists. And these days you can make money as a visual artist only if you do all the marketing and you do all the, you know, uh, Patreons and you do, uh, and you do Indiegogo and all oh, the, the crowdfunding yeah, campaigns. And yeah. so it's like you're spending 95% of your time marketing and 5% of your time, like drawing a parrot or whatever that you love doing. That's, you know, my wife paints parrots. So there can be a really un- unpleasant relationship if you try to bring the thing you love into the work world. Sometimes it's just better to go to your job and then come home and, you know, make your paintings and just love doing that and have that be a completely separate thing. For me, because my work background has always been about the content creation and also as part of the job, working on the marketing, working on the advertising, working on all those components, including the, you know, I've always been working on the marketing and advertising components for these other programs I was making. And so it's kind of for a long, long, long time been intermingled. I've worked on meditation books with meditation teachers and then uh, helped to under, you know, get the blurbs and the marketing for those. I mean, a huge part of what I was doing for years at these various places was that. So it's always been a little bit intermingled for me, you know, whether it's been my own stuff or other people's stuff. And so it Mm. doesn't feel quite so let's say, harshly contrasting to be like teaching meditation and then making uh, content about that and then also even marketing it or Patreoning it or whatever. That kind of, It's kind of always gone together for me. So it feels pretty natural. So when you say you're doing marketing, you're doing it all yourself right now? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I mean, depending on what you mean. I'll, I will hire people on Upwork or on you know, a Fiverr or whatever when I need a particular task done that I'm not that good at or that they can do faster or they, they've got the gear to do it quicker or whatever. I'm not going to literally do every part of it myself. And lately my web world has gotten ridiculously complex. I've always been running, you know, all my stuff on a LAMP server, you know, like I take it way further than most people, you know, Mm -hmm. probably you could run my site on Squarespace and it'd be fine. Right. But I've got this whole ridiculously (laughs) complex, like VP, you know. Well, you're a geek at heart in some ways. There's, there's a geeky, like I said, sci-fi element in there. So there's like a VPS running a lamp and stack and, you know, all that. But even at that level, it's finally gotten to the place where I just don't have time to work on every, you know, complex detail of the website and so on. So I have been farming some of that out. What's taking up all your time? You know, what's taking up all my time is the part I like the best, which is working one-on-one with individuals and then working sometimes at teaching large groups. But either way, working with people directly and you know, getting into their meditation journey, getting into what they need and really being of service in that way. That is what feels really good. Is that because it aligns with, you'd say, your life purpose? Or how does it work for you? Um, You know, 
I'm not much for like saying, here is my life's purpose, like that kind of dialogue. It mm. seems a little, I don't know, transactional and harsh to me or something or right. overly mechanical. Uh-huh. It's more like, uh, not that when other people talk that way, I have a hard time with it. I just don't tend to think that way is what I'm saying. It's more like I have discovered that when I am working one-on-one with people and or in a group with people and helping them deepen psychologically or spiritually or work through issues or get better at their meditation or whatever, I am in heaven. I'm focused. I feel fabulously good. And I, it's been enough years now that I know what to do. Like I'm actually providing value. They like it. And so there's something about that when I'm in that space, I just get very flowy, very, very, very happy. And Mm. so I don't know if that's called life's purpose or whatever. It just But you're loving it. I love it. And the more I do it, the more I like it. And the more I do it, I get better at it and I like it more and people get more out of it. And so the feedback loop just keeps growing. And you know, I've been doing this meditation stuff since I was a kid, right? Since I was a teenager. And so it's not like a thing I've just discovered or been doing for five or 10 years. This is like a 35 year serious, gave my whole life to go to India and meditating caves kind of journey. So what I, what, what I have to give back now is that kind of energy. It's not a hobby, right? It's been a a lifelong thing. So so let's rewind back a little bit. You are so busy right now. You're helping a lot of people and your calendar's full and I'm kind of super stoked that you took time to record this. Yes. <laughs> was there a time not long ago or whenever long ago when this wasn't the case, you were not so busy? It, it just depends. At various points, it's been up and down. Part of the thing about having more interest and more of a goal in, let's call it that, in the meditation world, personally, is when when you're like that, you don't end up with, you know, long-term corporate viability. You don't end up climbing up the ladder and staying at the same place for 20 years because, you know, I would go off and be in, you know, in the backwoods in Bihar or whatever for six months on end. And, right. and you don't, you know... That's not a career building move. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a it's a inner life building move. And so based on that, sometimes I've had really, really wonderful jobs, like when I worked at Sounds True, and a lot of times I haven't. I've just been out there in the cold and and hustling to get various types of work. And sometimes that work has really been on mission and on point, and sometimes not so much. And the byproduct of that kind of life is that sometimes there's dead spots. There's no work coming in, you know, Mm, mm. and other times like now it's just a flood of work and that's great. So how do you deal with those dead spots? You know, mainly panicking and running around like a chicken with my head cut off trying, <laughs> trying to find some work. You know, nobody likes to not have, you know, enough abundance to make life happen. But the skills I have are useful to people, right? It's part of why, again, the whole like, what is my life's purpose? It's an interesting way of framing a question because it's so 
singular and so alone and so all about the heroic individual. Mm. And what I've seen is we're not really individuals. We're communities. We are, you know, groups of human beings. We're tribes. We interact. And, you know, a lot of times I've seen people find what we might call their life's purpose gets drawn out by the group energy. What do people keep asking you to do? You know, what do they want from you? What are you good at? What are the, you know, regardless of kind of what you think your mission is, what do other people think you're good at? And, and, and that turns out to be really interesting. So for me, what I noticed is people kept asking me to show them stuff about meditation over and over again, you know, or to help them with their books or to help them market their stuff or to help them build a website or to help them, you know, I've, I've edited or ghostwritten a lot of books because I can do that. And so I've got these skills and people just keep asking me to do it. And so what happens is when I'm in, when, you know, I was in these dry spells for income, I would just start talking to people and and honestly, I would just see who needed what and then offer to do it. And if you've got skills and you offer to do them and people see that, you get work, you know. So there's a hustle aspect, but there's also a just kind of understanding what you can offer to the world. And I, I also think there's a really big role in just doing stuff for free. You know, so 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 just helping people out, just helping people out, see what they need, and and trying to give everyone you know a leg up, like help them do their thing, and that's a tremendously beautiful energy. It's generous, it's generative, it's friendly, and it builds community, and everyone grows from it. They go up, up, and also you, you know, number one, even if you don't make a dime from it, you feel good. That's a you know, human beings want community. They want everyone around them to be doing well. They want to lift each other up. But on top of it, you know, eventually people see what you do and see that you're good at it or not. And if you are good at it, they're going to, you know, want you to do more of it. Go back to that when there's very little abundance, because I know a lot of people who are still searching for quote unquote purpose and meaning, yeah. including myself. And I, I, I see this whole idea of it being like a very singular-ish concept Yes. At least when it's put in that way. It put in that way. How would you how would you reframe that? What is the world asking you to do? What can you offer? Like if you think of it it not being about me but about we, what do you have to give? You know, what do you have to offer? How you can help the world. Yeah, or help your friends. Help your friends. Or help, you know, the animals in your neighborhood or something. But this is what I mean. It's like what is the world asking from you? And that's, I love that because it also involves kind of going out from your little world that you might be hiding in, in some ways. Yes, it destroys perfectionism. You know, the, one of the things about mm. my, you know, precious little purpose is that it makes, for a lot of people, it did for me sometimes, uh, it can make you kind of hide in your cave and just like not put yourself out there because you want it to be perfect or you want it or your self-concept, your idea of, you know, what worth you are in the world is so bound up with the idea of purpose that it's scary to actually put anything out there. 
because then it gets judged, right? So I just always flip it on its head and be like, you know, what? Do you, not only what do you love to do, but what do people love you to do? You know, and there's a way that I that that can go awry. You know, it could be that you you want to you know do uh, hardcore abstract math that everyone just thinks you're pretty and wants to take pictures of you or something. I mean, there could be a mismatch there. Right, right. But that's okay too. You know, that's interesting to know that you got this other thing. Okay, maybe you can be a model. And and try that out, not as a full-time career, but as a side gig while you're working on your abstract math or whatever. It's just interesting to see that this is interactive. It's a community. It's not all about the heroic individual. There's some attachment to this idea of a heroic individual that I have my story and I want to like go through that and show the world kind of thing. You know, there's, there's a lot of that. That's our culture. That's every movie we ever watch. Even for myself, I think there's something a little bit toxic in that model, you know, because it's kind of a taker model in a way, you know, like just a little bit, no matter how much you're offering the, and I'm not saying this at you in any way, right? I'm just saying mm. for me too, but there's something about, okay, how is the world going to uphold this image I want to make of myself? And so it's kind of a taking in, you know? And to me, there's a real, the 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 move is the opposite. Giving, giving, making, creating, and and even if it's kind of invisible, you what know. do you mean by that? In other words, not everyone's role is to be, you know, center stage. And I think in a lot of other cultures, this is more understood. Like the, And it used to be even in, in, in Western culture, like the idea of the person just doing a good job at being a, you know, garbage man or whatever actually had meaning. Right. You know, doing a good job at doing just a, a really sort of very important, but let's say non-sexy job was honored. And one of the things that has happened, I would say, at least in my opinion, since let's say the 70s, but essentially since, but especially since social media culture has come in, is that it's got to look like you're the, you know, coolest Right, and yeah. so it's got that sort of narcissistic, you know, spotlights, rhinestone cowboy thing going on that is just <laughs> sort of, sort of brittle and a little bit useless. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're all afflicted by that right now. That's our culture. That's our culture, and you kind of have to. You can't even run away from it because there's so much, as far as transactions in life that happen over social media, that you can't just hide away from it. You can, but it's it's you know you will truly not exist. Right. <laughs> <laughs> in a cave, equally. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So. When I met you, or when we started hanging out here in the Bay, this was like about four or five years ago, six years ago, about? Yeah, at least, maybe more. I met you way before that. Yeah. Right, right, at, at uh, Shenzhen. In, L- in L.A. in like 20, 2007 or something. Right. Wow, it's been 12 years. Yeah. It's crazy. When I was hanging out with you here in the Bay, you know, you had more time available. We hung out more often, and... It's just amazing to see that since then, you know, you're, 
you're so busy in a good way. You're you're just occupied with going out there and doing one-on-one -on -one sessions and and then doing these uh, group group sessions like at SF Dharma Collective. And then bigger retreats also. Bigger retreats, yeah. And there's one coming up, right? A, a little mini one, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. Here in Berkeley. So, plus now you're married. Yes. Yeah, and back then I think you were not. I was not, and, and uh, married with pets. Married with pets. <laughs> <laughs> how's how's that is that like kids um i don't know um but we might find out find out Ooh, so, yeah cool you heard it here first yes indeed nice nice it sounds like you did a bunch of things in life since then or things happened in life since then that just occupies you in a good way how would you characterize the differences if, if you contrasted the life back then and now um a lot more of the doing rather than the setting up for doing. So, mm. you know, back then I was spending a lot more time developing. Uh, I'll just talk like a marketer right now. So, sure. um, developing my platform and creating content and getting the email lists together and getting the, you know, marketing tools together and writing a book, which I mean, writing a book, takes a year like of your life to make a book you know so that was a lot and keeping the blog going and you know still teaching back then and also at various points editing other people's books just as a work gig and so on so there was a lot going on but it generally in terms of my own work it was both doing some of the teaching and and developing the platform and what has happened is that the platform eventually works, right? So for example, one of my friends is one of the most famous spiritual teachers in the world. And he, um, I remember way back when, like before 2007, let's say 2005, I was working with him on these sort of like, you know, very rudimentary websites and wikis and stuff we were putting together about his material. And it was a long, long, long time ago. And then he was writing this book and writing that book and, you know, snapping together the elements of his platform. And, and, and it just, I, even just a few years ago, I was talking to him and he's like, yeah, it hasn't really come together yet. It's not doing what I want it to do. And then one day he's like the most famous spiritual teacher in the world and making unbelievable, you know, strides in his, in his work world and having like best-selling books and so on. And so I realized that this thing that they tell you in like, if you, I'm, I'm sure you've read like a bunch of podcasting stuff. They're like, it yeah. might take three or four years for your podcast to, you know, actually catch on. That's all true. Mm. Like you can sit there laboring like crazy on a platform, just chugging away for years before it does anything. But when it finally comes together, it's weirdly effective. You know, it just starts to really come together, you know, snowball, you know, effect kind of way. So when, while you were putting in the hours, did you know this was going to happen or was it? You, you never know. I mean, but. Were you taking a risk? Definitely taking a big risk. I'm spending, you know, you're spending a lot, a lot, a lot of hours, you know, making something that may or may not ever fly. But what's interesting is, again, I did understand from seeing other people do it, that if you do it long enough, consistently enough, it will fly. 
<laughs> and, and, and in this case, would you say it's been a few years? So it's been like 30 years or? Well, the, the, the meditation stuff has certainly been since I was a teenager. But the let's say this round of platform making started in, let's say, 2011. Well, when did you realize, okay, we have a platform. It's kind of working and I'm over the hump. Oh, maybe a year ago. A year ago. Yeah. Wow. Okay. In terms of over the hump, like this is really happening now, you know? Mm. So there, there you have it. That was like, you know, many years of just working away at it. And that's, that's part of why you want to, you know, build a platform out of something you really enjoy doing. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I would just write those articles and make those recordings and stuff just to do it anyway. I just like it, you know. Let's talk about the platform. Yeah. So I'm, I'm loving the fact that we have a name for this phenomenon. Yes. Right? It sounds like you, you're doing a few things. You're creating content. You're creating habits for yourself. You're creating recognition, relationships, other things. That's, Let's, a, little, that's a little wider than the platform. Okay, so what is the platform? Just think of it as all the stuff you put out there. So, like books, blog posts, YouTube videos, podcasts, interviews, whatever whatever other content you make, and the way that that all fits together is your platform. And so you could think of it, if, the, if you use the full term, it would be something like your platform for putting your stuff out there or the platform of stuff you have out there. In a way, it could be the platform for your ideas or something like that. Right. So it's all the content you create. It's called your platform in marketing speak. What, was that it? Was, it was, was that the biggest difference between, let's say, 2011 and now and where you were able to create an infrastructure where you can have all these things going yeah and you know building up that material like hundreds and hundreds of blog posts and several books and you know a, a huge library of videos and now a big library of podcast interviews and stuff like that so yeah this, that's the platform got it and what about as I was mentioning earlier, this idea of something wider than the platform, what else had to come together? Perhaps in your personal life or the way you run your days or nights? Just very slowly you have to go from, you know, gigging for other people to gigging for yourself and and make that transition work economically and work, you know, cosmically too i mean you don't want to suddenly quit everything and then and your platform's not ready on the other hand you don't want to you know be really instrumental to someone else's business and then just leave one day with no notice stuff like that so there's this kind of you know uh, i i think in the community of people who talk about fulfilling their their dreams in the work world there's kind of this thing about kind of uh, there's like a mystique around quitting day you know, the day you right. quit your straight gig and go for it. And it's a cool, it's a cool, interesting, <laughs> you know, like mystical concept, right? Quitting day and people live for that. But you want quitting day to be good for everybody. You don't want to be leaving anybody high and dry, including yourself. You know, you want it right. to be like a nice transition that's sort of sane and reasonable. 
And of course, if you're in the in in a work situation or a corporate situation where it's kind of faceless and they don't even know who you are, and if you left, no one would care. That's different, you know. Right, right. But I don't work in those situations. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel that you and I both are fortunate enough to not have to do that kind of yes hustling. That's right. <laughs> Now, you also mentioned that you were hanging with a friend who now is this very popular meditation, spiritual teacher. Spiritual teacher, yeah. Spiritual teacher. And so so you were hanging with the right people, too. Yeah, and not only recently, but all the way back in the 90s when I was working at Sounds True, you know, that's that. What what did we make there? We made platforms for spiritual teachers, right? right, essentially. And so the skills for doing this have been, I've been learning them for a long, long time. In fact, one of the first things I did, I got hired at Sounds True to ship boxes, right? Just in the shipping department. But then when they needed, they had an opening come up in the front office for someone who could write advertising copy for the catalog. It was a mail order catalog back then. And I said, I can write advertising copy. And of course, I'd never done that before in my life. (laughs) But I just like writing. And and so I got trained by uh, Devin, Christensen, who used to be one of the co-owners back then of Sounds True, and he was an old school, he still is, I think he's still around, mm. he's a he's an old school direct mail catalog guy, and so understood the principles from like the 50s of how to, you know, not that he's that old, but like from the old days of how to really make catalog copy work, and so I learned how to write sales copy well, if you're going to have to market yourself for the rest of your life, that turns out to be a really useful skill to have. Right. You know? Right. And, and so it's just been slowly building. You know? So you seem to have a knack for going into situations where you can learn what you think might be useful to you down the road. Somehow that has ended up being the case, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then that's not a waste of time in any way. That's just amazing that you are a student in some way and yet this is going to pay off down the road not that you're thinking of it but yeah i don't i never thought of it that way you know it only looks like it all came together in retrospect right right you know at the time <laughs> it's just like uh, you know just like you jazz you like to learn you learn photography you learn music you learn everything right you're into it that's why we're friends or one of the reasons we're friends i like to learn all the time and as long as you just keep learning and like I said, I was being useful. Like they liked, for example, the catalog copy I was writing and paid me to do it. And then I'm like, now I want to learn to make the programs. And it turned out, like I said, I'd already done so much editing and recording on my own because I just like to learn that when it came time to produce programs, I already knew how to do it. Mm. And so suddenly I'm producing programs for them. And, you know, it's you just learn. Right. Just keep learning, and it turns out that's useful. And fun. And fun, and you're and, always excited yeah. and into it. There's this sense of curiosity and also this playfulness of being that, that actually helps with that. And the one thing that I've found that kills all of that really just right away is any kind of fear. So fear seems very effective in killing that spirit of let's go find out what's going on there and let's have fun and see what happens. Yeah, spontaneity uh, doesn't go well with fear, right? Right. And curiosity and fear are kind of opposites in a way. 
And, you know, I, I think it's sort of facile to just tell people, well, don't be afraid or whatever. I mean, our fear is there for a reason. Right. You know, it's true that if you're about to be evicted out of the street, you might want to go just go with the fear and, and go get a job at Starbucks or whatever till you, you know, to earn your living while you figure out what you're doing, right? Sometimes right. the fear is the right move. But, you know, I say that as someone who is willing to like just take a boat to North Africa and just hitchhike into the desert and stuff like that. I've done a lot of really, You've done that? Oh yeah, a lot of really crazy oh dangerous God. stuff and <laughs> and and without any safety net and just not knowing how I was going to, you know, end up making a living ever. And so every once in a while the fear has pulled me back from, you know, the break and been like, dude, just, you know, go get a job for a while. Do you ever look back and see yourself going on this adventure and you say, what the hell was I about to do? Oh, none of it makes any sense in terms of anything logical. It was all following kind of an intuition or following just a fun idea. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not like I was born rich or something. I mean, this is all on the edge, right? Right, you know? right, right. So um, it's, de it's definitely gambling in a certain sense. Mm. And uh, and when I look back, it just seems like a, a, a magical journey in the real sense of magical, where it's a little bit terrifying and a little bit like you can't understand it and a little bit kind of hidden and, and also wonderful. I mean, it's funny you're saying that and I'm thinking of, I'm doing this podcast and I feel that way because, you know, this was not even on the radar. Yeah. Any of this, right. you know, this clear on life. I'm doing two podcasts, this one and one called Body Blows, which is just like a satire thing. What and are you satirizing? Life and just us talking. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's the playful one. You know, like this, this podcast is where I'm like, oh, shoot, like there's a purpose. Yeah. You know, the singular thing, there's that. And we were talking about this before the, before we started recording. That one's like, just whatever goes, you know, let's just go and, and see what happens. And it's amazing. We, we're creating one episode after another and it sounds amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, just following the inspiration and the fun. Yeah, and what, what it's really helping with is actually this podcast because I'm much more comfortable today recording you yeah. than I was with my previous guest. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. and the first time around, oh my God, I was frozen in my seat. Just, I was afraid to move and change the distance between the mic and my mouth and just cause any kind of sound or even look down. Thinking or sneeze. To, or sneeze. Bless you. Thank you. Yeah, we'll edit that out. Yes. Or maybe we'll keep that. We'll keep that right this, in this there. Is, this is life. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for sharing that story of going to Africa. And then you were also in India. I was in India a bunch. I was in Japan a bunch. Lived for in, in Japan for a couple years. And were, were you just going there on whims? Or did you have some intentions or plans? Kind of both. Kind of both? Yeah. So what, what about Japan? Um. I was in college and I studying language and linguistics and really into languages, mainly German and Japanese, but also French and, and just linguistics in general. And at first I thought I might, it might be interesting to go do something, let's say in the military with the languages for a short time, just to get that experience under my belt. A friend of mine went in and did like a a thing in, in intelligence and that, and he learned mm. Russian and it was just really cool. 
So I was thinking about that, and and then I just had a clear vision, like, that's never going to happen. I'm just not going to be in the military. Mm. And But a friend of mine from my Japanese class, Mora, she moved to Kobe, Japan, and it just was writing these letters, and it just sounded like fun. And she was like, you know, they need teachers in the English school over here. And so I, I graduated uh, from college and just got on a plane to Japan and stayed there for a couple of years teaching English. So, oh, wow. yeah. Back then, there weren't many jobs in the States, but there was tons in Japan. So it was just, uh, you know, uh, it was basically not about a job. It was about going to another country and so on. And I didn't have a job when I went, but there was a pretty good idea that you could probably get one, you know. Yeah, yeah. What about, as far as language, you've always had a knack for yeah. for that, right? And what do you speak besides English? Uh, no? The main thing that I still can do because I studied it so extensively is German, you know. Uh-huh. And I really, after being in language class for so many years in so many different schools and so on, I really appreciate um, the app Duolingo. It's a really, oh, yeah. really well made. And actually, you can really learn a language with that. So I've been... You know, because we're here in the Bay Area, learning Spanish on that. And, you know, my wife speaks Hungarian, so I I have that on the app too. But Hungarian is, you know, not really related to... Oh, yeah. (laughs) It doesn't have a parent or something? Uh, You know, it's related to Turkish and Finnish just a tiny bit. Okay. But there's very little overlap between, let's say, English or German and Hungarian. Now, it's the same thing with Japanese. There's very little overlap so in in one way, Japanese was equally foreign, but it's it's very easy to pronounce. Japanese? Yes, super easy to pronounce. And Hungarian, it turns out, is really hard to pronounce right. Oh, interesting. So, but it's fascinating. It's a really cool language and yeah. challenging. You know? Right, right. You know, isn't there, there are studies out there that talk about how knowing a second language actually does amazing things for your cognitive abilities? And oh yeah, absolutely. Now, yeah. what you speak like Hindi and English, and a little Russian. Yeah, and actually, funny, I have Japanese on Duolingo right now. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about other Indian languages? I don't. My parents spoke dialects of Hindi. Yeah. You know, in the Bihar section, mm-hmm. it's funny. That's where you were. <laughs> I was mainly in Gujarat, but yeah. Okay. So I could sort of understand what they were saying. You know, my mom's side was a different dialect from my dad's side and definitely helped me with my English, funny enough, because just the way of relating to languages really helped me get into English when I was getting into it. Right. That makes sense, because you already had understand parsing other languages. Yeah, and, and it really helped me learn Russian when, when I was in college. And I had these ideas of maybe I'll go to Russia and and perhaps teach English there. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I always have this fantasy that one day I'm just going to go to Japan and teach English there. That sounds so cool. Yeah, well, do it in the 80s. It was really fun. All right. <laughs> it's got to time travel a little. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So the theme that I find in, you know, going with the like the adventures and you just go off and you're doing what you're doing. There's this sense of give and take between like the sense of life flow, like the life is just happening versus you going in there and creating structures. Yeah. Do you see a distinction between those two? Do you have to have a balance between those? Yeah. It's interesting. If you check out some current neuroscience research from uh, this English scientist named Friston and also Carhart Harris, 
you know, they've done some very, very fascinating work about the ratio of chaos in the brain networks versus structure in the brain networks. Mm. So in the human brain, you can be using the same networks over and over in a really structured way, or you can be switching between networks in this really kind of fluid way that eventually is more chaotic than fluid, right? So it's this sort of spectrum between uh, totally structured and totally chaotic and everything in between in the way that the brain is using its networks. When when you say structured in the brain, is it that when that happens, you're seeing the seeing your life in a structured way? Well, or? Let me talk about this. I'm going to get there. Okay. So, you know, the what's fascinating about this is that when they found that when the brain is being very structured in its networks, you know, accessing the same networks over and over again in a very predictable way, uh, when that reaches, you know, a certain level of superstructuredness, the person is depressed. It's mm. too predictable. It's too ruminative. The same thoughts happening over and over. It gets really flat. Um, and then moving in the other direction towards less and less structure, it gets starts to lighten up. It gets more spontaneous. It gets more creative. Creativity is, of course, you know, got some chaos in it. Can't mm. be too, you got to be able to, get outside the box. That's what that phrase means, right? You're outside the structure. And that gets more and more uplifted, less and less depressed, and then eventually more and more energized. And then when it starts to be too much, it starts to get manic. And then eventually it's actually psychotic, right? Too, too chaotic. It can't hold anything together or make anything happen. And I think this is, of course, a beautiful metaphor for the thing you're asking. You know, you need structure and you need to be able to create structure, but just enough to stay creative, to stay energized, to make stuff happen. If it gets too structured, it's incredibly boring and stultifying and depressing. Although some people love it. For me, that's just like, it's just, I can't stand it. On the other hand, you know, you can push the envelope the other way where it's just so chaotic that you can't get anything going. There is no platform. There is no support. There is no community because you're just switching, 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 and nothing builds. So I wouldn't say there's a Goldilocks spot, but let's say a Goldilocks zone in there where there is structure and support that you're creating, but there's also like spontaneity, creativity, room to move, room to try new things and stuff. And in that Goldilocks zone, things can just really, you know, hit these flow states, really beautiful interactions, maybe even whole communities, you know, that are where each person is really doing their thing. Mm -hmm. So that's how I see that. Well, how do you find that Goldilocks zone for yourself? How? I mean, that's just intuitive navigation, right? Like Mm -hmm. if it starts becoming overly structured you just take a trip or something like do something really non-structured if it's becoming too chaotic you know and and you're starting to fall like the the metaphoric cloth isn't even holding together you gotta start doing stuff in a more patterned way and kind of weaving the cloth a little a little more tightly Mm -hmm. right and somewhere in there you'll feel it where it's like oh i'm 
managing to make a living and managing to have a community and managing to be healthy and at the same time finding some creativity finding or a lot of creativity finding joy spontaneity play do you have an example from your personal life on perhaps going towards too much chaos or creativity chaos and creativity and another one where it got too structured like do you have any instances where you had to pull back and go back to the to the center oh sure i mean uh especially up until let's say i was 35 or something the whole story is about like you know being going and and working and just having to quit because it was too structured it was just all too structured Mm -hmm. and so it was very hard at that point to let any structure happen And so it would just be like um, plugging myself in, getting a thing going, and then after a while, let's say six months or something, just being like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. Mm. And what I would find is that, for example, all through college, I I worked my way through college. I had a regular 40-hour-a-week job while I was doing 17, 18 credits kind of thing. And uh, so I did stay at those jobs, and those tended to be really – you know, the the local food co-op or whatever, where it was loose enough and open enough and fun enough and creative enough that it didn't feel stultifying to stay in the thing. And, and so there was a lot of that and, you know, uh, stuff that was just too much for me, too stultifying. Uh, I think I run way more towards the, the chaos end and the intensity and the let's mix things up and... And so often I would end up like uh, out in the desert in Morocco, like, and who knew what was happening or in some, in some, uh, uh, bus in India somewhere doing a thing. I mean, it just went on and on where I've had people say, dude, we thought you were going to die. You know, like I've heard that a lot. Wow. You know, but it's just like, I'm just willing to let it get more chaotic than most people. So, so they said that because they thought you were just just losing it or no, 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 not crazy. Um, just so out there, you know, like not holding the threads together enough, you know, you know, in the Bay area, I've, I see people like that every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved it. I mean, it ended up being good for me, you know, but every once in a while it would be like, okay, there's, I just got too close to not having any money or too close to actually, you know, dying or whatever (laughs) time to just back it off and and mellow out and like work a a job for a while and, and sort of bring the threads back together. I so identify with that. I mean, I haven't (laughs) gone to Morocco or India in that way, you know, but, but I think I, it's funny, like, I probably it's a universal thing, but mid-30s is when I realized, like, wait a second, I've just been having way too much, quote-unquote, flow in my life. Yeah, It's just all flow. Life is just happening to me, and I, I realized it would keep me awake at night, and uh, I, think, I think we were hanging out around those times yeah. back a few years ago. I couldn't sleep, like, five years of just, not good sleep because I was so worked up about the fact that I don't have any real structures that matter. Yep. You know, in the long term, yeah. everything was go with the flow, whatever is in the moment, you know, and give in to that moment. And so that I totally get that. Of course you do. Yeah. yeah right. And, and so it's, it's one of those things where you want to, um, 
each person has their own limits on both ends there. You know, some people default a lot more towards the safety and they're going right. to tend to be probably in more of a, um, they're going to probably tend to be more depressed. And then there's people who default more towards the, the chaos and they're going to tend to be more like manic or intense. Right. And we want to kind of find a, a good spot in the middle where it feels just right and where you, you're not only keeping yourself going, but helping other people, keeping other people going, being useful to a community, being a part of a community. And even the whole idea of community, you know, that's already a structure. And so that is, in the long run, so much more satisfying. Talking about community and the idea of helping people, if you find someone near their edge, either side, chaos, creativity, or, or structure, have you encountered that in your friends? And is, is there a way to help them with that? Sure. I mean, I, I would just say, number one, I never assume I can help anybody, right? I mean, there's something kind of arrogant and I'm just going to bro- go in there and help them kind of attitude. Mm. And I found over the years when I had that attitude really strong, it usually bit me and them in the ass, sort of this unasked for kind of intrusion. And so I tend to not think that way anymore. It's more like if I see that they're literally asking for help from me in some way, then I will really offer serious tools for helping with both of those things, either too much into the structure, too much into the chaos. You know, after all these years, that's like a place I really understand and how to work with both of those ends of experience or those kind of goal or those two kinds of diametric poles of experience. But it's, it's really important that the person is asking you, Mm, you mm. know, and, and that you, uh, then are offering into a space where it's openness. Yeah. I see how that can be very arrogant that you, you think, you know, and you, you probably know better than them. So you could probably help them out and they totally deserve your help. Blah, blah, blah. You know, that's just so uh, intrusive. It's intrusive. And also, honestly, it will, even if it's totally non-arrogant and totally just beautiful and coming from an open heart it's it's got to be asked for right so i I guess it's okay to care for people obviously and then be concerned for them if you see them going on a certain path that's right but it's different to be like now i you know now i'm presenting you with help uh you know right right (laughs) It's, it's fascinating coming from a person who does help a lot of people one-on-one, but yes. I, so, so you have this nuanced view of how, how to approach this. Yeah. If, if I'm going in there, well, number one, they ask for it. They're coming to me, you know, wanting that. And number two, you know, I'm not thinking that. And number two, I'm giving them the kind of help they're asking for specifically. You know, it's like, hey, help me to meditate better. Help me to do this or that with my, you know, spiritual life or my meditation life or maybe with my work regarding my spiritual life, that kind of thing. You know, I I have tools for that. I can help them. And the very many times in my earlier life where I would just see anybody in trouble and try to help them in in the ways that I thought they needed it, Mm -hmm. that usually was kind of a catastrophe. 
Always? Not always, yeah. but it's just that that thing where you think you know, you know, that's already like, well, maybe you don't. I mean, being there for them is totally a different issue. I see. Yeah, yeah. You're you're not deciding for them. Not deciding for them. You're not saying you're the authority. Yeah. You're not saying you know. And so when it's when it's like side by side and it's just your friend and they're having trouble and you're there for them, that's one thing. When a person comes to you and is like, "Hey, you are an authority on this topic. Please help me with this." That's a, it's kind of a different vibe. Let's talk about tools. So you mentioned there there are tools, and I'd love to know about certain tools in in particular relating to being too structured or too chaotic in life. Yeah. So get a little more specific there. So, okay. So let's say you're a creative, go with the flow. Maybe something's missing. Maybe what's missing is I haven't created anything that exists and persists over time. There's nothing to show for it except my stories. And maybe that's enough, but I'm finding that not enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of this, it's interesting. It can be class-based. The answer to this might depend on your, you know, class and family income level and stuff, honestly. Mm. What do you mean by class? I mean, in almost like a Marxist sense, like are you working class or are, are you, you know, a trust fund baby, oh. you know, the way that you approach this might really, <laughs> might really look really different. Right. 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 And, and so I don't want to assume that every answer is right for every different sure. person. But, and I, I think a way that people go wrong here is they want to create structure. And so they just get married. Mm. Right. And then if they need more structure, they just have a baby. And, and it's like, because that is kind of this pre-built societal model or archetype of structure. And, you know, those, those are the kind of decisions that could end up just, you know, not working out that well. And so I think if you feel like you need structure, if you feel like you're kind of too far out there, the threads have gotten too frayed and it's too chaotic and stuff, I, I would say you want to find a community, even if it's a community of one other person or a community of an animal or the community of a garden or something, but you and other beings who have some responsibility to each other. And it doesn't have to be a big responsibility, but just more than you've got. And so, you know, like, I'm not saying join a commune and become, you know, I'm, I'm just saying, okay, now you've got some friends in this spot and you're working together with them on a project. So even a tiny project, but there's responsibility to them. They're responsible to you. There's a little bit of some community thread making there, right? And, or you and an animal, right? Where they need you, you need them. There's, there's a, there's a community there. And you just start to make these routines. In a way, I would say the probably the the most generative way to work on building structure is through caring. Mm. So caring for plants, caring for animals, caring for other people, allowing them to care for you. You know, that's that's community building, that's structure making, and it's very healthy, right? Mm. Like that those networks of caring are going to feel good. We're 
wired for that to feel good. And it's very supportive. So what you don't want to do is, like I said, with the getting married thing, like take on a whole bunch of caring for another person that you are a little bit too chaotic to to follow through on in the long run. Like it's sort of a game you're playing for three months and then, yeah. and then it's like you you need to go run to, to Indonesia or something. It, it, it's like... <laughs> You wanna you wanna start out with a level of caring that is appropriate, you know, for you, for you, yeah, and for the other being, so they don't get left in the dust or something. What is this wanting to get married when shit is falling apart? Like, it sounds like the last thing you probably want to do is do something like that. And people, I've seen that. Uh, yeah, well, it's they're looking for a structure of caring, and it's it, and it's there as a societal archetype. And again, there's uh. nothing wrong with that. It's a beautiful thing if it's gonna if you're really ready for that you know but that usually takes years of knowing somebody and really you know under like working together and you've already built some structure there right so that that big of a commitment you know you can follow through on it and so if you're really out there on the edge the structure of caring is like you've got some house plants like one plant yeah you've got cactus right and you could be gone for a while and come back and it's going to be okay but you are watering it or whatever you know i mean we're making a joke but that's almost not a joke right it's like you've got some structure of caring and let's say the the cactus makes a flower every once in a while and you really love that and you want to come back to your apartment to see that so that's already like an organic system of, of caring that starts to do something. Right. Or like you, Jazz, have a cat. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Jedi, a cute little black cat. And you have to care for Jedi. It's funny. I, yeah, I got her because I was like, okay, this, this cat will kind of keep me in one place a little longer every time. Yeah. Yeah. And she yeah. did. And she's awesome. And you guys have a, a great flow together, right? And so, you know, there's... You start out with these structures of commitment and caring and community making that are small enough that you can do it successfully and not damage yourself and others in the process, right? And then right. gradually it starts to build roots, right? It starts to build networks and structures of caring that support you. And so you're going to want to be around that more. And, you know, of course you want to, it's like your mileage may vary. You, you, you know, you want to adjust those and tweak those to where it's just the right amount of structure and just the right amount of chaos. I think w- the way we're describing this for the, the really chaos people, chaos people, what you don't want to do is have a whole community that supports you and you just, that's where you go when you're all trashed and need to be fixed up. And then as soon as you're fixed up, you leave, mm. you know, that's kind of the abusive version. That's a rehab. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the, exactly. You know, and it's like, that's, that's good for you. You know, it's not helping them any. Right. So I would picture it being more of a give and take than that. Yeah. The, I, I think that, underlying this idea of structure is also responsibility as you were saying yeah and then if you just go into a rehab situation you're not still not being responsible in any way no you're making other people be responsible for you and that that's like that's not what you want you want to be always giving more than you take you know helping helping and your presence should be enriching right you know right not depleting so I can check that box because 
I it checked the box of, okay, I, I think I brought more responsibility in my life. And it feels really good, actually. Yeah, you're good at it. And I'm, the one thing that I feel needs attention is this idea of what you're talking about, this hero's journey concept and this paradigm of, okay, this is my life. I better, you know, do something and then, you know, show the world and everything else. And, and so how much time does one spend in their world, fixing things and working on things and creating structures versus how much time do they spend going out there and being with the world? Is there any tool that comes to mind with that or a practice of some sort? So it just gets you out of your own little reality? Um, I would just say, if you feel like you're stuck in your own little reality and then there's too much of a feedback loop, go do something with other people right now. You know? <laughs> and the it's it's very similar to the chaos versus order dichotomy the sort of like individualism versus collectivism dichotomy is very similar so probably our culture has gone way too far in the individualism level where we you know it's all about our individual hero's journey and we end up very very alone and brittle if we take that too far of course you can go too far in the other direction where you're just helping other people so much in kind of a way that's not fulfilling and you're just helping the community to the point where you kind of um, disappear and your own needs are submerged, right? That's not that good either. So, um, and I think in our culture, we're, I'm kind of painting a, what would have been the past been kind of a gendered dichotomy with that one, right? Although that's changing now quite a bit. And so I think that Probably if you're, I don't know how to answer that. It's a, it's vague in a way that I'm, I'm having trouble like clicking on it. Okay. Yeah, but So let me just end that and say, um, probably most of us could spend more time, you know, checking out our community. So, so I'm noticing there's these spectrums like chaos versus order and then individualism versus collectivism. And you want to find this sweet spot for both of these and a lot of times like at least in my life the issues have occurred because it was skewed to one side in both of these those are the big ones honestly i feel like most people are you know you can have it as a theory in your mind but what really matters is that you thrash back and forth wildly between them and eventually sort of you know <laughs> you, you kind of understand both ends of the spectrums better and better and it starts to find a spot in the middle in kind of an organic way if i did think of a third one it would be something about what used to be called like apollonian versus dionysian the world of ideas versus the world the embodied world of feelings I think people can get really too much into the mind or really too much in the body. And either of those are also pretty, pretty toxic or they have big, clear failure modes. And having a, a nice mix of being able to think well and feel well is super important. And currently in our culture, my take anyway, is that there's not a lot of dialogue between, you know, productive dialogue between those two ways of being. It's either super rational, sciencey ideas, 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 or it's like all emotions, all feeling, all squishy and gooey, but no clarity. And both of those are necessary. 
you know, to, to be a healthy person. And so, you know, decisions get made, no matter how rational you think your decision making is, decisions get made emotionally. And you have to understand your emotions very, very well to see how your decisions are getting made. And by the same token, uh, you have to be able to understand the situations you're in and other people are in and the world is in, in an intellectual way to be able to make good decisions. So both of these things are, that's a crucial dichotomy. And, and I feel like there's a real divide. Mm. People seem to be one or the other. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. I, I have friends in both those worlds yeah. and uh, they don't get each other at all. And you see how each world has its own kind of problems. Oh yeah. That are really predictable. And frankly, stifling. If you, yeah. especially if you if you come into that from another place, and you you just don't know what you don't know if you're in a world and you're fully in it. Perhaps you just don't realize that there's something else possible, right, beyond the confines. Well, and and you know you get you get good at doing what you get good at doing, and then you're good at doing that, so you do more of it. You reinforce. You reinforce the easy part. And so it's always good to stretch outside your comfort zone and try to, this is the thing about learning new stuff, right? You got to go back to kindergarten uh, often. Right. Go back to the basics of something new. Go learn Hungarian because, you know, it's hard and just you're, you'll feel, you know, humble for a while to, 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 to really get into the stuff that's not easy. Right, right. Going back to tools and the fact that you teach meditation, how would these dichotomies, I, I am guessing that meditation has a positive, net positive effect in bringing you to the center? Absolutely, yeah. Could you speak a little more about that in relation to, let's say, individuality versus collectivism or any of the other dichotomies? I think the main one that comes to mind is the one in the brain networks. I mean, they can, the original studies they did not so long ago about chaos versus order in the brain networks, they did by giving people psilocybin, which obviously introduced a lot of chaos into the brain networks. But it also showed uh, that it shut down the default mode network. And when the default mode network shuts down, uh, you know, the person would tend to come out of rumination, depression, and so on, right? Mm. And we know that meditation does something very, very similar. It starts to break that uh, connection between the big nodes in the default mode network and starts to go into task positive network or other networks of the brain, again, breaking out of the depression cycle or the overly structured cycle. In terms of the chaos, you know, meditation is building the prefrontal cortex, the medial prefrontal cortex, and those parts of the brain that also do impose order. And so most of the studies seem to be showing that it actually helps you regulate better between this chaos and structure in the brain networks. And meditation as techniques, are, are there techniques that are better suited for one thing or the other? You bet. I mean, this is the thing is that when someone says meditation, it's like saying books. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, reading books is good. Let's talk about which ones you might right. want to read for what purpose. <laughs> so yeah, there, there's so many different techniques and there's so many different implementations of those techniques and so on. You got it. It's kind of a big field, you know gigantic field mm. with mm. a lot, a lot, a lot of variation over thousands of years. So understanding that there's certain ones, for example, if you want to, let's say you want, you need more 
creativity, more chaos than doing something like an open monitoring meditation where you're just freely going to each sense gate and noticing what's happening, you know, feeling your body, then listening to an external sound, then seeing a bird in the sky, then noticing a thought in your mind. That kind of meditation called open monitoring, very, very good for creativity, right? Mm. Whereas something much more like, let's say, concentration heavy one object you're just focusing over and over and over on an object that can tend to reinforce some of the structural part you know some of the order in the brain Mm. and there's even studies that contrast you know these styles of meditation and and what they do to the brain so it's it's very very interesting they're all good for you but you can kind of tweak them to make them more of what you're about Where can one go to find out more about, you know, what techniques are best suited for what situations? You know, that's a hard question (laughs) because I've come at it from this like multi-decade thing, you know, but when I, when I look at that recently, I see that there's literal science papers, like PDFs of science paper, of science uh, experiments that say we tried these three different kinds of meditation, usually open monitoring shamatha meditation and um, metta meditation so loving kindness meditation we tried these three different kinds and we saw the different effects Mm. and you know if you if you just google those sorts of keywords you'll come up with that material very cool and and one last thing about that topic is how does one know where they are on the spectrum because sometimes it's hard to tell where you are I might be super chaotic, but I have no idea. You know, someone, I, I could have heard this talk, but I'm like, that doesn't apply to me well, or vice versa. One thing that's interesting on the internet is you can just take psychology tests, personality tests, you know, and even if in some deep scientific way, they are, are shown to be invalid because they don't match up with brain structures, they're usually pretty good actually at showing you what kind of person you are compared to average you know like oh you you know the way you answered these 150 questions you're way more risk taking danger seeking chaotic type right or you know oh you're very ordered you're very structured very careful very safe and all kinds of other stuff they'll show you lots of other stuff so it can be very cool to go and take a bunch of these and and take them very honestly like not answering the questions how you think you should or for what you for who you think you ought to be but really being honest you'll get a very good idea of where you fall on the human spectrum <laughs> <You know? laughs> that can be a scary revelation it though. can be a scary revelation yeah. and this is the thing though if you're into knowing the truth about anything you got to be into knowing the truth even if it's scary and difficult or not what you thought it would not what been. you thought yeah. right <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah I'm, I'm i'm debating if i want to share this one story but i think do i want to pass do it. you can edit it oh out. my god um uh, so so i've been listening to a uh, i was listening earlier this year to a lot of jordan peterson mm-hmm. that the controversial the canadian, canadian public guy. academic yes yeah, that one that public one. intellectual idea. so he has done a lot of good work where you can actually go online and author your life yes. so you have these online tools where you could just go into these websites and self-authoring you can do a present authoring past authoring future authoring 
And he also has a psychology test where... Now, when you say authoring, what do you mean? So you write your story. Yeah. You, you go in and there are guided questions on what happened in the past. Remember them. What did you learn from them? What was good? What was bad? And you get a profile of that. Right. And, and a lot, I realized they were, it was so rich. And I, I realized I was missing on some of these things. Even the present, my virtues and my flaws, I, it, it was probably somewhere there in the unconscious. Yeah. But it was never out in the front where I could clearly navigate with those things in sight. And so, so it was very useful to me. Yeah, these, that's what I mean. These kind of uh, basic psychological tests, they've been doing them for like 100 years. Right. And, you know, they get, these sort of tests get criticized a lot because, again, in the current evidence-based psychology world, they might not add up. But in a way, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for what the test was designed for, which is to say, what kind of personality do you have? And that is what they're good at. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And even the self-authoring stuff, that kind of material, again, that is sort of basic psychological kind of work. Right. That is totally worth doing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. very helpful. And it, uh, it has effects on um, attachment, mm -hmm. right? And all that. So it's very, very cool. It was amazing. I, I, I found out why sometimes I would turn cold when people were in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, I was related to a story in the past and just looking at them like, oh, this is what, and I was able to let go and this was not some deep meditative work. It was just contemplating and seriously thinking about something. That's right. Yeah, and, and so again, to answer your question, these tools are out there and they're totally worth it, right? You can get a lot of insight into right. your basic deal and I think the biggest pitfall, possible pitfall there is if you, you know, don't listen to them. Mm. Like, no, that's not right. Right. It's like, well, <laughs> <laughs> maybe it is. And maybe it's something to think about, you know. Right, so, right. How would you say mindfulness plays a role in clarifying this? Because it's at a very microscopic scale, right? Rather than at a bigger macro scale. It can be. In mindfulness, there's many different levels and many different types. So yeah, you can, as you know, you can go in on the super micro scale of mindfulness of the feeling of the air passing over the hairs in your nose or something. And that's actually really useful for spiritual insight. But you can also back out and do mindfulness of thoughts and feelings and don't go into the microscopic, but stay with the content. Like mm. actually notice, okay, I'm having this thought with this content. I'm having, you know, you're not going into the vibratory quality of the sound of the thought, <laughs> which is what you would typically do in mindfulness. Instead, you're on purpose staying back in the content. And then it's not just the body. It's not just you know, the feeling in your foot or something, it's literally the content of this thought and then this particular emotion and then this other thought and then this other emotion. And you keep working with it on the content level. Like using Shenzhen, you know, our shared meditation teacher, using some of his techniques of working with thought and feeling in that way, and but backing out instead of going way in, backing out into the content level like I've described, this is, I, I've done that for stuff that was very psychologically hard, mm. really hard. Mm. And, and 
doing more of an analytical kind of mindfulness where it's back and forth with the content and seeing how it, it's almost like the pinball machine of the mind is and the body are bouncing off each other and really watching it, watching it, watching it until the insight arises of, oh, that's what it's doing. That's what the issue is. That's why this comes up. You know, we don't really think of meditation as being about that, but you can use it that way. You know, you just have to kind of adapt the techniques. Yeah, there's, I I mean, hearing that, I'm thinking that there's a misconception about meditation. At least I had that, that it's always about going deeper and deeper and deeper and finer and finer, you know, zooming in and in. There was no zooming out. Yeah, that's a good misconception to have, right? That's how you go deep in meditation. But um, sometimes what's keeping you from going deeper in your spiritual journey is your psychological journey. Right. There's just or getting a job or getting a job. Right. All that stuff. And so, you know, you can adapt these techniques and use them in different ways. Mm, OK. Yeah. OK. How do we find how, how do we get in touch with like someone listening to this podcast gets in touch with you to get your meditation advice? Deconstructing yourself dot com. OK. Everything is there. The podcast is there. The blogs are there. The books are there. And, you know forms to write me emails are there so that is the absolutely easiest way that's awesome what's next for you are you are you going to keep doing this uh what you're working on right now helping one-on-one i'm going to keep working uh with people on meditation in whatever way so that might look a lot of different ways Mm -hmm. retreats one-on-one uh more audio and video I'm really, really enjoying it, and I'm doing collaborative stuff and with other teachers, and and so that just seems to be where all the energy is, and I'm really into it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, any more books coming out? You know, one thing that's interesting is that The Mindful Geek, the book I wrote a few years ago, is starting to get uh, put out there for foreign language rights and stuff, so that seems to have oh. a, a bunch of energy, and I'm I'm working on several books, but having, having already written my books and other people's books i know how much work it is yeah and so i keep procrastinating because once you get in there it's like it's a, it's it's a lot of hours to finish that thing yeah so so to clarify you don't have problem with the hours it's just that there aren't enough hours in life that's right i mean i actually love writing and yeah. so it's one of the things it's just that um being one-on-one with people I, I love also, and that that's so compelling right now. Yeah. And so, but, it, you know, I'm, I'm learning to do it a little differently, whereas before I would just block off time and just dive in. With a person. Or, or, with, or a, with a book. With a book, okay. And now it's, gonna, it's just going to have to happen in tinier time chunks, be mm. a little bit, little bit more, like, parceled out over a longer period of time in little chunks. So you're not going to disappear for a month Correct. onto an island right. writing a book. It would be more like disappear into the local coffee shop, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> do nothing but drink coffee and write, you know. And you're able to do that. I've seen you work sometimes. And you just go in and you're gone. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm good at focusing. Wow. I mean, that's another <laughs> skill. I just want to call out that that's an amazing skill. Well, you too. I mean, when I've seen you can just start a business and that's all you're doing for like like months, right? And you just dive in. It's cool. Focus yeah. is focus is a, is one of those skills that if you don't have it, just do the meditation to learn to do it. It's something that neuroscience and meditation research has shown you can really build no matter how much ADHD you've got. 
if you work on concentration meditation, you will get good at focusing. It's a general skill to have. It's a general skill to have. It may, it makes you better at almost everything. And it's, you know, luckily it's a thing that can grow, right? It's not a thing. It's not a given. It's a variable. So you right. can build it. So, so to improve life right now, go to deconstructingyourself.com, read some of those articles, <laughs> practice some of your meditations, get the Mindful Geek book. And that's, that's a really good one, right? For accessible in many ways. It's very ways. accessible. Yeah. yeah. It was written yeah. to be super accessible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that teaches you mindfulness. and teaches ha- you mindfulness that you can use right away uh, without believing in any particular religion or going off to a monastery or getting all weird with ritual or something it's just enough meditation and it will fit into your life well michael this was a pleasure yeah thanks jazz it's thank you so much yeah. yeah let's do this again sometime let's do it again all, all right, right. Thanks, bye bye